looks like it was cold in the mountains this weekend. It was really crazy. And I didn't expect uh, that much snow, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, Brad joined me at night and was happy that he joined, you know, to share a little bit of pain with him. It was good. So, um, yeah, it was, was fine at the same time. I slept with the one side. What happened to my... How far um, walking was that? Because you said your friend joined you like 12 o'clock at night or some shit like that. Uh, yeah, now it is just... He parked the, the car pretty late. It was probably 7 p.m. And uh, I climbed till 11 p.m. In the dark? Yeah, in, in the dark, yes. I was... I was I was impressed about about what he did just to join me down on the mountain. He was happy, and uh, that's it's not a really short walk. It's like uh, you know, finish the track and then boom, you go, you go, you you follow the spur, you go to to the top. And I always did that spot because um, I like it. You know, when you're on top and see all the mountains, it sometimes it's not just about hunting you know i love to climb and get a good spot to just sit down and and just look yeah, yeah and yeah. relax that's that's the focus i mean so many so many people would have thought that why do you have to go so high in spring especially you know when the animal goes down yeah because i i, I want to stretch my leg and and i i want to climb that's it so awesome, when man. you're on top you can understand even what is happening on different mountain faces and stuff and yeah. uh yeah animal went down but you know i found even one 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 bull tar just at the same altitude oh because you said you didn't find any animals so you saw, yeah. you saw one animal uh i saw a young one just uh, starting the track in the morning and then a couple of hunters were were already uh, settled with a rifle um not far from the end of the track um and then just I, I I pushed it in after an hour I started to hear boom 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 five shots and there was the orchestra and say oh wow I, I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know there was orchestra today and so the commando sniper down there I don't know what they were what they were doing to be honest and I don't know I, I don't really like when I, I start to hear it sounds like shots after another one I don't know it's, it's a personal thing and then I go to the mountain for the quietness. Yeah. Uh, for for it's it's a it's um it's a mental and and soul reset yeah, when yeah, I go yeah. there. And I don't know. Uh, I, I'm impressed by uh, your friend. I know on Instagram he's Kiwi Dad, but what, what's his name? Surname? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Brad. Brad Turner. I'm impressed with yeah. him walking in the dark because I'm the guy who who um who will get lost. <laughs> I was. I was freaking out. It's just for him. I said, oh, it, and it was windy and it was bloody windy. And uh, it was, I was impressed. I was really happy. Then we came in. It's just like, yeah, good time. And yeah, I spent all that. Uh, I was a little bit bummed that Sunday we could not stand the top for so long because the wind was getting really strong. I could not do anything. So right. we decided to try, just get down a little bit and stay on the face covered by the wind. But, yeah so so yeah man we've been delaying this talk about ethics for a few months actually i think two months 
and and for various reasons we've been working on a project that we're not going to talk about now no um, no, and, no spoiler and then yeah we, i'm just scared that if we talk about it it just goes away um and uh then also i think sometimes with 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 something like like ethics um one's almost too scared to talk about these things because it it might reveal behavior in the mm. hunting community that um you don't want out there you know because yes. it we're, we're on such a slippery slope with the public view of what hunting is and you're scared if you highlight these these behaviors that one doesn't condone or that's not ideal that that it 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 paints a worse picture that of what hunting is in the media and it's like polit politicians you know if their party does something bad they don't talk about it because it will give 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 ground to the to the to the opposition but i think yeah. we spoke about a couple of things this is going to be a bit of a long intro but we no i saw a couple of things in the media and and a couple of things happened where i was also um there was an article on on aerial assisted trophy hunting helicopter mm. hunting mm. and the writer was lamenting how how um you know it was like unfair for these foreigners to to come and <laughs> you know do that and is it ethical you know i i feel in the end basically he was just complaining because the foreigners have uh these rich guys who can put money down on helicopter hunts have have better access than him and then in the same space with a magazine where i saw this there was an article on on pig hunting and um you know, pig hunting is a is a hard thing. I I haven't I haven't pig hunted in the, in, in the Kiwi style. Um, I've shot pigs in in South Africa, but this particular article spoke about bar barrowing. I think that's that's the pronunciation, barrowing pigs. So you grab mm -hmm. the pig, you see he's not big enough for good eating yet, and then what you do is you grab him, you cut off his balls, and because his balls are cut off, the theory is. He's not thinking about procreating and a lot of the hormones aren't there. Mm -hmm. So he just focuses on, on putting on meat. And then a couple of years later, if you grab him, um, you've got a good eating pig. And I was like, you know, you cut off balls without, you know, if there's infection, that pig can can die. That, I mean, you, you might have opinions on that as as a, as a veterinarian. And, and And I was just like, I told myself I'm not going to swear, but... <laughs> I was like, who the fuck are you to put the animal through that trauma? You know, who who are yeah. you? You know, yeah. and and I think I'm very emotional about these things. Maybe you know, it's good we talk because I know you're emotional about these things, but you're probably more balanced than I am. But you know, I I shot a pig. I remember a warthog in South Africa once, and I gut shot him. It was the first time I just started hunting. He was moving, and I gut shot him. It took me about 10, 15 minutes to find him eventually, and then kill him. Mm. And you know you feel like shit afterwards yeah. um it's dead but you you feel like shit and i think just just incidents like that i i just felt uh, and, and then i saw a couple of things i saw a video of someone shooting shooting tar man and it was like boom 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 yeah. fucking shooting in chaos afterwards they're like yeah we think we got another one there we think we got one you think you know, you think you got one there, 
you know, and I, I saw the misses. The misses were like a meter, like by a meter missing this animal, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I just yeah. thought, okay, well, you know, maybe it's time to have this talk and maybe we were very unpopular and you have to go back to Italy and I have to go back to South Africa. <laughs> but so, 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 you know, I've seen, seen a lot of your work and we've spoken a lot and, mm. and I know you value animals, but like how, how does one, like, where does that come from? Like, how do you think, why do you value animals? Did someone instill this yeah. in you? You feel it's yeah. genetic. Maybe that's just who you are. Like, yeah, um, it's a difficult debate. At the topic, it's one of the most delicate one you you have in the hunting community for sure. And here we're sharing opinions. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I'm Subjective. not forcing Subjective. it. Yeah, I'm not forcing anyone to think in my way, but. Yeah. When I go up there in the mountain, this is my point of view. This is how I see things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when you told me uh, that we're going to have this podcast about ethics, ethics, and then I started to think about it in my head and, and try to focus uh, where actually ethics and comes from and how you value an animal, where this kind of mental process comes from, okay? And I tried to get back in the past a little bit, you know, the previous civilizations. And if you trying to describe the scenery or what, would it, what was happening uh, among our ancestors, the animals was, most of the, this civilization was an holy thing. Why? Because without the animal, well, you will die. Hmm. So I think that is a big, big, big start. When you have an animal that you're hunting that is going to translate it for you in life, because thanks to that animal, you can survive. You, the optic completely changed to me. Yeah. Because yeah. you are grateful to that animal that sustain you and your family and your people and your population. You're no joking. You're no joking about that. No animals, you die. Yeah. So, and you can see that there is a lot also spirituality that went along with these civilizations because the animal was like so important. It became a lot of civilization, a lot of um, communities. The, the animal became like a god, like a, a mythical thing. Yeah. Because it was like giving life to every one of them. So it was portrait, it was drew uh, on walls, it became totem, it became like, you know, even taking some some of the, the, the parts of the animal becomes like a part of your outfit, the part of your clothes, part of your life, even the tools. And, and it was like it, the, the man was living with the animal, was living totally with the animal. And you jump to today's society, jump to today, today's age, um the approach is not really the same because like you i go hunting tomorrow if i'm struggling i still have my steak on, on my plate so and to be honest it's like it today is a gift when we are able to go to the mountain yeah. we're blessed we it is still it's still a, a a nice thing that happened to us that we can spend our hours and in, in the outdoors but it's not essential. 
it's not essential likes i can continue to live without hunting a lot of people say no i can't do that because i'm going to get insane if i can spend my time in, a, in the mountains and can chase animals this is part of my life yes but at the same time if you struggle even look at me if in a year didn't put down an animal i still look still fat and 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 <laughs> and and, and, <laughs> and living well yeah but you go back to the past you yeah. don't harvest you die yeah so that's why i think there was a different approach we lost a lot of spirituality today yeah and that's why you're putting an animal down for so many people it's not a big deal yeah i i was thinking about that too um you know in 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 medieval times or you know a thousand years ago the the tools were very crude so maybe the method of killing sometimes wasn't as efficient as it was today mm. um uh people might have have, have uh, herded animals into a spot and then had a, a mass killing there and then take all that meat and distribute it and everything the tools were were, were crude but still there was that spirituality after the kill thing is today today the tools are very precise yeah and you have the responsibility to learn those tools and the responsibility to, to make decisions like when can you use that tool ethically um, for myself man i've shot a lot in my life i've spent a lot of time on the shooting range but i'm for sure not the best shot so i have a specific window that i will will take a shot in and beyond that i just say no and then people are like, yeah, you should have taken a shot. No, man, you can take that shot and we'll deal with the consequences afterwards. Yeah. But I'll make the decision and things can still go wrong, man. You shoot an animal, it takes one step forward. A, a okay um, a shot becomes a, you know, a not so okay shot because you just grazed the lung or something. Um, so so I, I wanted to know, you you bow hunt, right? Um, That's right. Do you think bow hunting carries more responsibility? Because I feel you can give a rifle to most people. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how the guy on the street will do with a rifle. I grew up shooting. My father was in the army. Um, yeah. Although he was in the artillery. So, but, you know, <laughs> but yeah. um, you can probably teach someone an hour to take a decent shot with a rifle. I mean, I've seen it a lot of times. Someone wants to hunt first time they go with family in south africa to a game ranch and they shoot something uh do you, but bow hunting is different do you think the responsibility is different in in bow hunting um i think that i respect both of, of the activities both of the, the style of hunting uh to me it's a question of um you the limits are different yeah um because there is a range of perfection in that is different in both of them. Like uh, a rifle, I think it allows you a little bit of uh, mistake. And still, even if the mistake is not that big, you can get your results in good terms. Bow hunting, it's, um, it's a little bit different because, um, and, and I, I, can, I can tell that because I experienced that on my, on my skin. Um, if you're not perfect, are you going to struggle? Yeah. 
that perfection is so essential that um, you are a little pushed back to the to the primal type of hunting where the rates of success are so low. And it reminds me to, well, for example, a, a lone predators and elite predators like a lion, a tiger that hunt by themselves, how kind of rates, how, how much uh, success they have. Their rates is, is pretty low when they hunt by themselves. They're probably two or three success out of 10. Yeah. Tentative. Uh, so in, um, but then as you say, it's, it's about the limit. If I know that, for example, the shooting range, my groups are perfect at 200 meters. Um, and, you know, I have a little bit of, uh, I can think that up to till 300 meters is still probably okay. But that is also another scenario that you have to try, you know, to try to find a situation that you go out at the shooting range, even try the 300. Um, so if you see like this, this in 300 meters for, for a bow hunter, probably you will translate it, it'll be like around 30, 40 meters and still 30, 40 meters, you have a lot of things that can happen. You know, the speed is not the same. And plus all your body, it's involved into the shot. Yeah. All your body, I mean, a lot because you, there is your stance. So it's about your feet, your legs, and then all the, the, the chest, the arms, your head, is a lot of, of, of uh, detail or muscular uh, components that, that are involved into, into, the sh into the shot. So that's why perfection, it's uh, in bow hunting, it's, uh, it's a must. Sometimes you can get lucky, sometimes not. And I have to say, I have a, uh, since I'm here in New Zealand, uh, bow hunting is lapping my face so many times. And, and, you can see like in a negative way, but at the same time, when you put yourself and say, okay, I'm in a country that I don't know where are the animals because I didn't spend time here. So I have to find them. I want to explore the land and public land is, is, is tricky, is a challenge. Plus when you find the animals, you have to approach them. You have to be at a closer range. It's not like a rifle. Um, but all these things that, that the good result is like, you're gonna struggle. You're gonna think that you are unsuccessful. At the end, you become really humble. And you say, I just get whatever it comes from yeah. because it's part of the experience. And if you want a shortcut, just go there, put your bow on your backpack and harvest an animal every time you get out. Uh, this is not for you. This, you have to change it, of course. Yeah. you're going to experience a lot more success. I feel it with a rifle because if I think about all the situation I was, I, I got like a 60, 90 meters. Those are really short range for a rifle. Yeah. The rate of success is pretty high, but I'm not looking for that. Yeah. So yeah, a couple of times, like one time to be, to be precise, I got, I got an animal seven yards on top of the mountain in uh the blood was good, bubbling the blood, and it was a frontal shot. So the first time I took a frontal shot, but everything happened like in a trance that he couldn't even think it was easting. And you know, uh, hunting the, it brings you back to the, the real nature of of, uh, of a human being that we are an animal as well. So nature is brutal. Um, and then, because again about ethic, I didn't really 
enjoy what happened. And I probably spent my two weeks after just thinking about that nonstop. And I organized other trips to the same spot. And handed, I think probably two months ago, just two months ago, like opening my folders with all the clips again, looking at everything, I ended up to find the bull that I shot that date and he recovered completely from that shot. What? I, I found the clip. I found the clip of that bull because it wasn't a folder and you have so many clips and some I just keep it. And I found the, the same bull that recovered and I check about how many days. It was shot the, the 5th of, I think, May. After 20 days, I went there to, to do another trip and he was there completely, completely fine. And I spoken with uh, uh, Professor Lovar. It's a little bit my guru. Um, yeah, just tar. for context, he, he did a lot of studies on tar in the Himalayas. Yeah, as, yeah as, sorry. As, and as, you spoke to him? Yeah, I spoke to him recently because he just released one book of uh, his study of the snow leopard. And he told me one super interesting thing. He said that tar is evolved to get stabbed in the chest because when they fight, they're trying to put the tip of the horns inside the chest. And he showed me so many pictures of the Malaya when he was studying with bulls that have like full of blood on the chest, big blood. And you see that that blood is comes from the chest cavity. He said they recover. Wow. This is man. what happened to me. Yeah, this has happened to me because probably my shot was a little bit lateral not completely in 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 the center and pro also a little bit high not really low that to get on top of the sternum and get really nice uh, entrance in the cavity so i got probably a piece of the lung that's why it was bubbled in the, in the blood for them is nothing yeah and uh, it was a big lesson for me um to not take that kind of shot anymore yeah and and uh, to talk with to my brain if it's possible to cool down and just say like let's see what happened but that tar just came to me so fast that i i could not manage the situation i was not prepared for that that's interesting man because it it says also a lot about knowing your own limits and then knowing yeah. the uh the, the the makeup of the animal you know exactly where yeah. the shot sits and know what you're going yeah. to do i i was <laughs> I need to keep names uh, out of this now, but I was on a hunt in a place yeah. <laughs> with a friend and I'd spend time with this person on, on the shooting range and they can shoot, but you know, uh, and in this case, they didn't take a shot on an animal. And I asked them afterwards, like, where do they want to shoot it? Animal kept moving. And so they decided yeah. not to like, no, he was going to, he was going to spine this animal. And the first thing I thought was, if he had tried to spine that animal, he would have missed. <laughs> you know, take a <laughs> shot in the lung heart area because you know you're secure, you know. And, and I also know, man, you, the moment you're faced with that animal, it, it happens like that. Yes. Oh, we'll yeah. find something. I'll see it. I'll approach it. Sometimes it's fucking in front of you. I, yeah. I was on a hunt in South Africa, blue wildebeest. And we had heard calves bawling and we thought it was about 80 meters away. And we had started circling and suddenly 
12 meters in front of us, there stood a couple of cows, uh, blue wildebeest cows. And I remember lifting up my rifle and seeing the gray of the animal's shoulder. And I was about to pull the trigger. And I realized I was looking at its back leg, back leg. And I just told myself, you almost just fucked up. And I just yeah. breathed, moved, and I had a 30.06 and I shot. And it was, she, was, she was down immediately. Um, so so the, the one thing about New Zealand, which is interesting, is all the game we hunt are introduced. Yep. Unless you count uh, Pukeko. <laughs> and these birds. Um, and, and I think one of the questions is like, how do we see game animal? Like, how do you see tar chamois deer? Do you see it as a pest? Because if you see it as a pest, 1080 them, kill them all, yeah. goodbye. Yeah. Um, so, so I think for like my question to you is, do you, how do you see game animals in, in New Zealand? Like, do you see them as a pest? What, how do you see them? Is it, is it, is it? That is another, another delicate question. <laughs> yeah. Probably all the New Zealand is um, hunting community and outdoors community is struggling about this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it's about definition. Yeah. How you define these animals to be introduced. So it's difficult to give an answer. And uh, we'll try to to come from a different angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you introduce an animal. These animals you introduce are ruminants, right? Um, New Zealand vegetation, never seen a ruminant before. Yeah. It's not selected. It's not evolved for that. So that we, we have to be aware of that. So this population don't have predators. Yeah. So they can grow exponentially. Um, so if you look at this, the example of red deer, um, some areas of New Zealand have a big impact. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, and then different angle. Um, a lot of people enjoy mountains and you can see that the mountains change a bit of the picture of their image because these animals are living on the mountain. Yeah. Um, and I have to say that there's a long young hunters, a long young uh, fellows that go on top of the mountains. It becomes an activity. Uh, is a healthy activity. Hmm. Um, is a recreational activity as well. Becomes like a passion. Spend most of the year in the mountains, following these animals. So we're talking like a lifestyle. And these people have this kind of lifestyle. So how to say um so deep in their in their um in their individuality that if you take this from them that's uh, going to be a huge impact yeah 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 so when you consider all of these you can for me for me for for my point of view is like these animals are a value for so many aspects because 
uh, still wild game, it's still meat, it's still good food. Uh, the impact on the environment of, of an animal, I mean, of a piece of meat that had come from a wild an animal, whatever it is, uh, this is a parking journal, whatever country it comes from, it's almost zero. You know, it's different from a piece of, of a beef, you know, that, that you're eating, the impact on the environment is different. And then I can tell you from a veterinary uh, perspective as well. Um, so it's, it's a war thing, you know, it can, it can feed people. Um, so what I think is that these animals are a value. I will not define them as a pest, yeah. for sure. The only, the only problem is that everyone has to be aware um, and work to contain them yeah. in a good way. So it's what you're looking for is a balance. That, that's a, it's a difficult thing, you know, we don't have any of a balance ourselves. You know, sometimes we get angry Sometimes we're quiet. Sometimes some peers are more than angry. Sometimes the stress is so much. So you, you, you put enlarge these things in, into an ecosystem, you know, centering. So it's how many things you have to balance to get all the ecosystem that well uh, uh, and, and, and sustainable. It's, it's difficult, you know. Um, that's why... And there are some people that are, that are working in that, you know, to, to just name someone, Cam Speedy from the Seeker Foundation. And so it's trying to do uh, change the sensitivity uh, of the hunters and say, like, look, if you want to manage this, this, the situation, you have to target this kind of animal. Yeah. You know, otherwise, we're going to still have issues on the environment because the environment is not going to be sustainable, even for, for uh, uh, the local vegetation, even for the animals itself. Because if they don't have food enough, they're going to start to have problems, you know. And the density is a huge problem in, in the wild population. You know, it can it can have like uh, you know the, the perfect the perfect situation for spreading disease, pathologies, and uh, that's not what you what you like. It's just like the other day there was there was that Facebook video of that tar with the character conjunctivitis, and I felt like hunters they don't like to see that. You know, that that heart was there, no moving, not doing anything, just staying there, standing, because completely blind. Um, the hunters don't want to see that, that, that. They want a healthy population. They want they want a game that is, is, is good, you know, bringing good genetics, bringing good trophies. Um, this is what you're aiming for. That's why I, I don't I don't want to see the 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 wild game in New Zealand as a pest. I think there is a value, there is economic economical value, uh, is a point of interest. Um, even when the borders were open, there's a lot of foreign people that comes here to bring money. There is a there, there is a lot of traffic it creates, like that the hunting creates in New Zealand. I think and that's it's it's a part of the life now of the lifestyle of these communities. Um, but at the same time, it creates some issues. The fact that, that you are hunting an, an animal is a pest. You don't have any ta tag limitations. Yeah. You are a little bit in that situation that you kill an animal or not, or just how many you kill. It's just like, no one is going to, is going to pursue you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing's going to happen to you. And that's probably something that is dangerous. Not for all people, because the hunters, they are, a lot of hunters, they are really uh, have a good mentality and they think yeah. about the future. Yeah. They think about the next generation. They think about also 
the 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 population of the animals because everyone started just take same class of age. Yeah. I don't know, but that's not the good the good way of your population, right? So um, it depends. It depends where you want to go. It would be good to get to a point where someone like the Game Animal Council were tasked with managing or determining offtake numbers, and then that conversation can start without the worry that that animals will be killed in mass or will be ten eighty. Um, but the public perception is needs to change, and the political uh, perception needs to change. I mean, if if, if you the, the the message out there is to shoot female animals, and that will control the numbers. But um, man, I've in in South Africa, I've shot blue wildebeest, warthog, lacebuck, impala. Um, I've shot a bunch of things. But when I saw a tar bull for the first time mm. it was with a nanny okay yeah my mind wasn't on shooting the nanny for meat <laughs> no nature, nature i wanted is to not put being... that bull on instagram you know yeah, that's what yeah, goes yeah. through my mind i want to sh- it, it was such a magnificent animal and i know if yeah. it if its horns were standing in my house i would relive yeah. that moment forever yeah yeah very hard when you're in that situation and yeah. And especially when most of the population tells you this thing is a pest, the motivation to control the numbers by reducing the breeding population is very low. Yeah, the motivation I isn't agree. there. Yeah, I agree with that. It's very hard, yeah. you know, because I say all these things, yes, but they must. Well, until I see the animal, then I also just want to shoot the male because it's good. But that's again to, 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 and for East Conference has been really, really um, a good part of, uh, of uh, education uh, when I watch the Camp Speedy Conference. Yeah. And when you talk about the two types of hunters, that that's, that's, uh, it makes a lot of, of, of meaning because uh, there is the, you know, the consumer and the hunters just got there and then kill his animals. And there is the, the manager. Yeah. So it depends what kind of figure you want you want to go for, right? So yeah, I, I agree with with the tar. That's nature's not being really nice to the females of tar. To be honest, that's that's an issue. Yeah. Because if you if you go for chamois, a female is still a you know is a beautiful yeah, animal. Race of animal. Yeah. Yeah. The female of tar, it just I, they just the nature decided to give everything to the male. Yeah. So um, I understand. The, uh... We should start a, a trend of putting the female animals you shoot on Instagram and maybe that will change. So, so, so that brings me back to that. Okay. We oh, talk- it, you just have to put something like a female Tars life matters. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Something like that. It's, it can start, man. We can start it. <laughs> um, so, so earlier we spoke about the, the value of, of an animal and what it had to ancient cultures and how we kind of lost that because life is so easy. You just pop down to the supermarket. Um, do you think one can reinstall that value? Because I don't know if you can take someone who's our age, 40 something and change their mindset about the value of an animal. Yeah. Does that mean you must change the youth mindset? Like 
do you think one can reinstall the value of an animal? I think it's changing. If you, I mean, with all people and also the young people I'm sometimes talk with, you know, some are students, some like are finishing their studies or some that, you know, just starting to hunt. Um, I feel like a part of them have this kind of um, opening in their, in their uh, mentality. Um, and even a lot of my friends, it's like uh, the cooking start to be a really important part after the hunt. Yeah. Where, you know, they, they, we, uh, it's, it's good when, you know, I found myself discussing with them like new recipes and then how did you, they, they prepare this, how they prepare the other thing. And to be honest, it's like, a, since I'm here, um, I fed my kids with, with red deer. Yeah. And I don't know, probably there's something special about that, but I know I never seen my daughter's finishes steaks like this at that fast. Awesome. And it's just like preparing, like, it's like normally what I do in terms of time, it's almost nothing because what I do just prepare most of, of the steaks that come from, from the back leg. And I just cut pieces the you know, like almost squares pieces from the muscles and, uh, just freeze them. Then I cut slices and then this is like making really thin for the kids and uh, just on the fire, a little bit of uh, salt, pepper, um, you know, a couple of spices, nothing fancy. On the fire, it's done. When they're crazy, they eat that. Yeah. So you think that you have this kind of gift when you're going the outdoors. It's not just about the trophy you put on, the, on that wall. Yeah. I understand that that is a story that makes the hunt like a little bit. Wow, remember that day, that kind of memory, that animal, it's re really represent probably that uh, um, a strong piece from, from the, the population to represent that population. And you have on that wall because you like that species, you like that animal. Um, it's important. But even, you know, when I see my kids eating the meat, it's just, I feel like, wow, it's just like the natural, the natural process that comes back, you know? And then, and I tell them the stories about the hunt. It tells them the stories about when, when I was in the mountain and stuff. So, so we have something to talk about, you know, where, where we're hitting. Um, I creates like some a kind of context that it's properly dying today. Mm. You know, um, you know, those stories on the fire and stuff, yeah. talk about where that meat come from. Um, uh, today's society is just like, we have, we have this kind of problem. Everything is going gonna, is gonna to be here on the screen or yeah. is, we don't have time because yeah. we, we look at, look at something and we have to, you know, switch to the, to the next one, you know? So I, I think, um, well, it really excites me that that a lot of people with with that that are into this cooking side is coming into hunting. A lot of them are are city dwellers that that don't have rural agriculture farming background context. You know, yeah. don't have this yeah. this 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 smaller town upbringing where it was usual, and and they're changing the ethics. I mean, because a lot of hunting was hard characters, and now it's it's becoming a very hipster thing. 
And um, I think the chefs you interviewed like really excite me about food, the things I've, uh, some of your podcasts. And if yeah. I look at, at, at um, Instagram accounts like um, Eat What You Kill Co., I don't know if you follow, um, I forgot the guy's name now, but I've spoken to him and, and, and it's really cool what they're doing. You know, showing this food, beautiful photography, um, showing the recipe. And it makes me uh, excited to get out there and, and, and it helps in, in educating the general public. We need to educate the general public about wild meat. Because wild meat is healthy, it's free range, it's probably got a much less smaller carbon footprint. And if you if you're not a vegetarian or a vegan, your life still depends on that meat. But we've been so removed from from uh, from the process. Um, a, a, another thing I wanted to ask you: Do you think in in times of of social media? Um, our responsibility is is different because man I, I saw a video everything is a video because we've been stuck in freaking lockdown again it, it's breaking me but of someone i have a lot of respect for and then they have this clip where they gut shot this animal and then 40 seconds later they shoot him and it's dead and i was just mm. thinking really why did you show the gut shot I know you don't want to sugarcoat what's happened, but fuck, man. Um, do, do, do you think, uh, yeah, do you think in times of, of social media and messages spreading so fast, we've got a different uh, different responsibility or maybe just in, in these times our approach should change? Um, is it, social media is, it could be a danger, dangerous weapon for so many aspects, but it could be even a super interesting and valuable tool. Um, imagine the connection that you can make through Instagram. That Instagram is, 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 is great for that. Yeah. You know, all the people that you can meet in the community and share as ideas, as it's like, it's, it's really good. So I like for that kind of aspect. Um, there is another problem, and then this is um, actually even when I was mentioned talking with this, this, these young uh, fellows and you know kids are coming, uh, opening their uh, their time to the outdoors and stuff. Uh, they look at the social and they get the example from what they have seen and social. Yeah, and we have a little bit the influence, the big influence from the Americans. To be honest, yeah, you know, for sure. uh, because their their social is important. I mean, it's big, it's big. So it's a big, big piece of the the the, uh, the big presence. Um, and I feel like you, it's is up to you. It's like how you want to filter what it comes from the social. There are so many good uh, profiles accounts. They really go show a good uh, aspect, good side of the hunting, you know, ethical hunting, uh, good photography. So the message is so good and nice and pure and genuine, right? Yeah. At the same time, there is other accounts and a little bit of trend that Instagram becomes a place for auto-validation. Yeah. You do something because you want to publish on, on social. 
and you want to show you're being successful you want to show to other people because we are in in in, in search for auto validation this is a big things of our society yeah so when you publish something when you put a pictures what you're looking for likes follows yeah. followers this kind of things before probably you have done you're probably gonna do that thing by yourself share with the people that are close to you and that's it yeah finished yeah now today not today you're gonna look about how many people look at that how many people would just like put a comment how many people share it so at, I, I, I don't know that. I do that I I, I I do the same thing but sometimes this happened to me for different things, not just about social. I sit and I said, what is happening? I try to understand what is happening, actually. And I have a lot of, I do a lot of mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to say that, okay, I make a lot of bullshit. So, but at the same time, if you try to understand what, what is happening, the process, why you're doing good, what you're achieving, and it's it's about what kind of reply you can answer you're going to give yourself that probably give uh, help you to for the next step i think it's good to share something you want to communicate a message that's important you know you want to talk into community you want to see what other people think about something because you want to learn even from their point of view but for just looking for Someone to like you, someone to say, oh, cool. You know, it's, I don't know where it's going to bring you, you know? And, um, and again, this is a personal thing. So I like a certain type of photography and then to, and, and in terms of, uh, you know, when, when I surf the, the different pictures of, uh, of what is happening in the Antin community, uh, I like certain type of pictures because I like the message. Certain other pictures to me they are zero like there is is a sterile message that comes from that. The dolls are aseptic. Hmm. Um, but that's again is is like how your brain is cut and where you come from. So it's an individual thing. I it's it's difficult. You know, I've often wondered how one deals with those um, like you say, septic messages. Um, there's laws that people have to follow. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, when someone's alone in the mountains, you can't control what they're doing. Um, and yeah. you, you have to live with your own actions at the end. Um, so, so, so yeah, I, it, it, it's very difficult, man. Um, and, it's, and it's difficult, I think, uh, coming in as foreigners into New Zealand is also difficult because we don't know the context. And um, uh, it's the first time we deal with pest animals, pest animals in, in inverted commas. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that's very, <laughs> yeah, that's very difficult, man. Um, I, I've always taken, for instance, taken body shots. And I'm like, oh, well, I must get to the point where I take headshots. And I go, do I really need to? Because I just want to switch the light off on an animal. But if in the mountains, it's difficult, man. You're shooting at angles. There's wind. Yeah. Um, yeah. You really need to either know your tools or have yeah. ideal conditions. Um, 
Kiwi hunters are really good shots. I've seen that. Um, uh, and, and can, you know, I'm, I'm very used to different terrains and things like, uh, shooting at angles is not something I've, I've done uh, a lot before. Um, so, yeah. So what would you say as a closing message, man, on ethics? <laughs> um, like it's, it all comes from the value you, you put on the animal. Yeah. And even if you don't want to put like the big value, like I was talking about what happened with other ancestors, so think about it with no animal, yeah. you're not going to go for hunt. So I think that um, the respect that you show towards uh, an, an animal, it's, it's, a, it's a good improvement. You show that kind of, uh, you know, click to just a good evolution in terms of civilization, you know. Um, and I think that it all comes from the type of education that you had. Yeah. You know. Um, I, I I started when I was a kid just like like the Hanuma Kingdom because I was attracted by that just because I wanted to discover more and then when I'm out there in the outdoors um, yeah I bring the bow with me but several times I found myself then just observing what is happening and then uh, I lost myself and then I, I, I lose a little bit that kind of uh, attitude that I want to put an animal down. It's, it's a natural thing. So I don't really think about that. It, it happens. But because I, I'm trying to understand that every population has a type of communication. And we don't think about that that often. They know each other. They have a certain relationship between the individuals. That means they, they are a living population. Yeah. You know, they decided to probably stay with that animal, with that male, that female for certain reason. Mm. So even if there are entities that we think about, they are in terms of intelligence, in terms of like, uh, you know, uh, upbringing, uh, lower in a lower position compared to us because look what have, we have done on this planet compared to them i think that we evolve in a direction but we lost that type of communication that they're keeping yeah because they have this kind of attachment to the land that is totally different from us and that's why i think that their communication it's on on a different type of of uh it is really the structure of that communication is completely different mm. but how many times we try to say that i want to understand that more you know and i found myself so many times that like about individuals they stay together they have that kind of interaction by themselves and i say like look at me when i'm hanging with friends mm. you know you know when you have with you yeah, I remember that scene of this metro bull that was just cutting the land coming from a ridge full of other uh, three juveniles. And those juveniles look like it's three, three students are going, oh, let's see, let's see what he's doing. Let, let's, 
Let's see what, what, what is bringing us. And they were just following him blind. Wherever he goes, we go. And how a situation like where a mob of like 14 bulls and there was these two big ones and say, why they are sitting like that? They were sitting on top of everyone and moving like so slow and it looked like statues. And I thought this is the, the, there is a hierarchic position. There is something is happening between them. They, they know those ones are in a different position compared to the other ones. And, and then you try to see that the mob moves. Why? The mob moves because that some individuals start to move. They decide to go to another place. And then when you throw, start to think, why they want to go to the other place? Why? They decided that the food is better there or it's the different type of a hour of the day. They have to move there because they have to reach another place for, for the evening. So all these things, all this consideration, it brings you to think about that is a living being. It's not different from you by no meaning. Because at the end of it, let's, let's be clear about this. We talk about ethics. At the end of it, you and me, tar or no tar, shammy or no shammy, we're going to be all ashes. Yeah. We're going to all die. No one better than other ones. We're going to go back to the mud, back to the dust like everyone else. Mm. So that's why sometimes I don't understand that, you know, bringing that respect a little bit towards another living being is trying to say like, look, I shared destiny with you on a planet that we don't know what is happening because we don't know the truth. We don't know absolutely where we're going to end it, you know? And the only things that I believe, I'm not really a religious person. And I'm probably my auntie is gonna call me soon when I, <laughs> she 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 she's a nun in the south of Italy, so it's just uh, gonna struggle to explain what I've said now. But the only thing, so this is a personal thing, I'm gonna share with you guys. It's gonna probably some some people are gonna laugh, some others are gonna think about it. The only thing is that I believe today in this kind of uh, age, we can say, type of life because no one gives us the manual. So we don't know what is happening. We can even try to, to be scientific and say, yeah, there's a planet and gravity, universe, where? Where is? Where is going? We are containing what? In, in a box? No one knows that. Or is expanding infinitive? Where? So the only things that I believe is karma. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That's why I always believe in, a, I always behave in a way that I, if someone is doing something to me, I want that is going to do something that I will like because it's the treatment that I want to receive. So I'm going to give the animal the same treatment if I was an animal out there, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man, I, 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 I feel the same. I've from just observing animals. Um, I also pick up a lot of things and, and you can start through the range. You can start with the dog. You know, I've, I've got a dog for seven years. I walk a minimum of five kilometers with her a day. It's, I mean, I've walked with her over 4,000 kilometers, 3,000 kilometers since I've had her. Um, and people go, Oh, that's a lot. You know, it's just a daily thing you do. 
and and just the way a, as a dog picks up things from me. Now I just point my finger and she goes yeah. in that direction. Yeah. Oh, no? Yeah, again, you, you see that, that kind of communication, that you type of communication. You know, mistreat that thing that that yeah. that has that communication with you. And um uh so the listeners will probably know like I write about agriculture. That's my my day job, and I just started freelancing full time again. I visited a farmer once who had a beef cattle herd. Hmm. And um he told me, I want to show you something. When we come close to this herd, there's one cow that's going to run away. This cow would, when all the cows have calved and when they're, the, the calves are drinking milk, she would go on her knees and drink milk from the other cows. And at the end of the season, <laughs> she would be fucking fat. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Once the calves are separated from the cows, and the farmer comes close, she runs away. Because if she's drinking, if, if, if those cows are lactating, they're not going to fall pregnant again, right? So at the end of every calving season or when the calves have been weaned, they had to separate this cow from them because she would drink from 10 or 12 cows and those 10 or 12 cows wouldn't fall pregnant. And when the farmers come close, she runs away because she knows they want to separate her. Or, yeah. or a cow on another farm that when the herd walks up to a gate, she would go on her knees and crawl underneath all the other cows and open the gate with her nose. Now, okay. Maybe it's an outlier. Well, the, it's an outlier, maybe. You know, it is an outlier, I know. The thing is, we don't know. And especially what you're saying about herd communication. Um, and there's thousands of, of examples out there. Um, until I know, I need to treat that animal with as much respect as I can. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's just my opinion. I've, I've had people, even when I go fishing, tell me that, that I misunderstand how animals feel pain. But I will keep on doing what I'm doing. Mm. And hopefully what I'm doing is right. That's what I think. And another thing to that would it's important to mention as well, because like it's all about balance. Sometimes this kind of uh, reasoning, it pushed towards the other side and creates a, a totally different effect that we put so much emphasis about an animal language that then yeah. you put, you, you, you start to humanize the animal. Yeah, 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 which is also- but yeah. that's, That which also not a, not a big, big mistake, but- yeah. The, the thing is that, and that's why I think the hunters have a really valuable position, because when you're there, you can observe, you can understand, you are part of nature. Nature is brutal, even between all their communication. There are brutal things that happen. Yeah. You know, there's no pity. You know, yeah. Suffer, suffering this is like a big thing. When it happens, you, you have an animal that's just like limping on top of the mountain. This is going to limp. No one is going to help him, yeah. you know? Because it's like that. And we have to accept even the kind of principle. At the same time, the fact that it's respecting an animal, it's, uh, I think is a, it has to be a part of our culture, is a good example even for the kids, just because you put the, the right value on, on an animal, on the environment. And that's why when you put value and respect an animal, you are someone that will fight and struggle 
in trying to sustain and bring it and conserve it and protect it. That's why it's important to respect it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. I've got uh, two other questions that has nothing to do with ethics. Go on. <laughs> and then I see we're running out of time. Uh, no, it's okay. If you, if you prep meat for kids, because I know with my sister's kids and stuff, they're like, man, you think you're making great food, they're not going to eat it. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they, our idea of great food, like you said salt, pepper, and what spices do you put on there? I put like, uh, just like dry onion, um, onion, garlic, pepper, salt. In France, I use um, what kind of, uh, there is like a mix of spices for, um, uh, don't remember. It's a little bit more, um, more hot, like a spice in there. Just, I even put paprika sometimes. Um, but for kids, I try to put a sample, most sample that I could, just salt. Uh, I, I put oil and marinate the steak a little bit, the piece, all the pieces that I want to cook. I marinate with a little bit of oil and this salt, pepper, and a couple of rosemary uh, spices like that. And then, uh, you know, as more natural, more I keep it. That I, I found that, that the kids enjoy it. The more fancy it is, the kids don't enjoy it. Yeah, and um, but I think at the same, uh, the same time is about it how you educate the kid about food. At the same, is yeah. an important thing because you know that that your the the mouth sensorial part of the mouth and the tongue can start to experience different tastes at that age. So I remember when they were really, really, really young. I mean, no, they still young, but we're super babies. I started or even give roe deer when I was in Europe and uh, they enjoy it. They enjoy yeah. it. I feel like the red deer they prefer, but um, we'll yeah. see. Shoot more red deer. That's the, that's, that's the answer, man. No, no, that is more obsessed about tar. It's just, I want to see if they're going to eat tar. That's going to be like my dream. So. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, another thing, sorry, two questions. When you walk up to an animal, uh, that you freshly killed, do you slit his throat, bleed it out immediately? Um, so happened to me to do on in New Zealand um, on a goat, on a goat that I, I, I shot with a bow with a spine shot, and then yeah, I, I, I finished that. And, um, you bleed it out, but if you shoot a hard shot, you don't bleed it out. No, no, no. You no, feel it's no, bled no. out enough. Because most of the shot, the shot that I have a raw deer in Europe, that's where I, I had a little bit more experience. Like the yearling that I shot in October 2019 was the same. And when you are at the base of the heart, actually you are cutting the big vessel that comes up from the top of the heart. So the bleeding, it's, it's happening. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See, that, sure. that, that shows you if you know, if you're a veterinarian and you know the makeup of the... <laughs> the muscles you you get the knowledge because in south africa we were taught walk up yeah i mean it's just a little bit like it i found out that's just a different type of uh of the theories when when you kill an animal why he's dying and i found on social that just i mean it's kind of strange as people think about you know the animal dies it doesn't it doesn't go 50 you know this kind of 
there's this quote, it didn't go 20, it didn't go 30. And then you see what they're talking about is because you get, you get out of oxygenation. And I was like, what? I mean, an animal can stop for, it can free die probably for probably 10, 15 minutes. I know when it's running is more oxygen, but it, when an animal collapse, because it doesn't go, it cannot run at 20 meters, 50 meters, like it's collapsing in, in, within seconds, mm. you know, it's blood loss. Yeah. It's not oxygen, it's yeah. blood loss. Yeah. So blood contains oxygen when the brain doesn't receive the kind of uh, 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 certain amount of oxygen, blood, you collapse. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you try to stop your arteries here for even less than a minute, you collapse. Yeah. 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 Um, and then you're busy with the last, last question. You're busy with the project, Pink Eye Project. Um, yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. me yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah. Like, just oh, explain it's... it scientific name what 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 where are you oh, yeah. can you talk about it yes yeah, so it's a big things it's like uh when you have a little kid you know that you just uh, hide and then you're preparing you know for a big competition and you poof you you you, you throw it when is the time um yeah I, I have to say that i i kept good communication and relationship with my professors at universities and uh, plus they they have studied uh, the wild ungulates in the mountains, so many, so many publications. I've studied really widely, uh, chamois, hybex. Um, and then there was a team also that went to Nepal with the professor Lavari. And Lavari comes from another university, my professor from Torino, but they were in the same team. And that was, that was how I, I met Lavari. So they were already talking about tar when I was in university. And for me, tar was like, I, I, don't, I don't understand what is tar. I didn't, I didn't know at all. So we kept a little bit the communication. When Matt came here to New Zealand and uh, I talked to them, there was, uh, there was, there was good. You know, they were uh, kind of happy and see what it was happening. So I found out a couple of trips and I see that these animals are, you know, uh, presenting this kind of uh, symptoms and lesions of the keratoconjunctivitis. It looks like the same one that we have in Europe and Shamwa. So that's so tar in, in what, the Targa region that you saw this? I saw that on tar, yes, in public land on tar a couple of times. So, um, and yes, I think I published a post uh, live on Instagram to see what hunters, you know, uh, think about this kind of disease. I've received a lot of pictures from other hunters. They show me that they have founded this on other other animals and or harvested animals. And I keep I kept uh, talking with my professor, and we decided that oh, that could be interesting, you know, to understand what is happening in New Zealand and compared to the to the Europe. So they don't have any call, data collected, any, any information about TAR. And there is no publication about any scientific publication about any TAR disease, to be honest. And that's a little bit sad thing. New Zealand offer super scenery for this kind of study because you need to, to harvest the animal if you want to, 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 to get 
to collect some some biological data samples to analyze and see what is happening. Lovari told me that in Nepal it's difficult to do that because you need an authorization. You can't put down the animal, even if with the telenarcosis, it's difficult. So that's why the study didn't continue there. Um, so basically, I mean to to a little bit shorten the the explanation here. Otherwise, I'm going to go for ages. If we have to talk about tar and just stay here days. At this at the moment, we have a group of people and we can call this group of research on this little project about the pink eye and tar in Shemwa. Um, and we're gonna collaborate with the Tar Foundation. Uh, we already, uh, one of the member of this group of research that we are um, establishing, it's um, the director of research from the Tar Foundation. Uh, I'm not going to mention you guys soon going to have all the names that will come out. Yeah. Um, so the project, what is the project about? And this is really important and crucial. It's not really about the pink eye 100%. It's about how much we can understand of a specific species here in New Zealand through the hunter's knowledge and experience. This is what is our first goal. We want to try to map a disease thanks to the hunter's yep. knowledge and again, experience. So that's the study focus. The, 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 the focus is, uh, the study's focus is on, on this step one. Step two, if it's uh, worth it and significant, significant, we're going to try to sample. Okay. So collect some sample and see to analyze that. Here at the University of Barcelona probably will join and do the analysis if, uh, logistically speaking, we can do that. Uh, they have done already a lot of research on chamois and their molecular technology is so advanced in this type of uh, analysis that it's a perfect place. So, so, so when are you at that point where I can write a short article about it, put it in the news? Oh, soon. Okay, you're gonna really let soon. me know. I'm I'm very really excited soon. about this project, Franco, because because I, I think people are often scared that if you show there's disease in the population, yeah, give the argument to the 1080 crowd, mm -hmm. go like, oh shit, there's disease, let's kill them mm -hmm. even more. But what excites me about it is it actually creates value. Now, yeah. a student at a university can say, well, I can collaborate with the Barcelona University. Maybe not now, maybe yeah. in the future. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and there's value in this game animals because it cannot be studied in Nepal. It's a holy animal. Yeah. yeah. You know? yeah. Um, now you can contribute to the, to the knowledge of, of, of that country. Um, so I'm very excited about it and excited about what's going to come from it. And... Uh, I think you've you've um, you've had to convince a lot of people that there's val value in it. I know because oh, we've to, we've to complained be, a lot about uh, the convincing it's process. Been, it's been a struggle to to be honest. The the first contact that I had been catastrophe. Yeah, uh, talking about this project, I felt like I was talking really a different language, or I yeah. was just saying bullshit. 
um, things change a bit um, into the this group of research I have like valuable professors and researchers they have done a lot of studies on wild ungulates and they think that's a super interesting project. Yeah, man. Um, awesome. Again, it's not really about the disease, and uh, you know, even even the doctor is going to look at that like, uh, oh wow, Tara has disease. Like, even probably a kid can understand that Tara has disease. Like every population has disease. We're not yeah. talking about any zoonosis here. Um, we're trying to just understand the sanitary situation. Yeah. of uh of tarashemwa it's not difficult for hunters to understand if an animal is affected by the care of the conjunctivitis that is a good start but what we really wanted to aim is like how valuable is the knowledge that hunters have and they are even hunters they have to start to consider that the management if this thing is successful can come from them yeah because they are the highs they are the sentinel they are the environmental the, the environment sentinel or what is happening out there so it presents as pink eye what how does it present you mean the symptoms how yeah, it yeah. looks like so the pictures that i've received from the hunters is like really obvious disease you're gonna see this big discharge on the highs from the highs you know and there's like a pus that is creating that is stayed, you know, uh, uh, on 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 the on the hair around the, the, the facial area, you know, of the of the animal. Um, there is a change of color of the cornea. Of the cornea. Cornea, yes, this is like the blue aspect of the cornea. Um, and then you have the severe stages of the disease, like, uh, you know, even the corneal perforation, like ulcer, oh, wow. ulcer of the corneal. And then, uh, yeah, at that point, the animal has gone completely blind. Even when the, um, the opacity of the cornea changed, the animal still have that kind of sight. It's like, uh, it's affected, it's impacted. So, and then it's um, from far away, we are spotting, you can see an animal that is walking and like on eggs, trying to you know understand every every move. Have to think about twice because it is not sure about. It. Uh, it could be really really fast. Like in ten days, you can get to the oh. the, the, the the latest stage of the of the. I mean, the, the, the most severe uh, symptoms just in ten days. That's why I was talking with my professor and asked them. Because I couldn't understand this, why did most of the tar that seen in the pictures are healthy? Because in 10 days, it's so fast, they can still stay inside in a good area where there is food, that they can even find food just like trying to look around. Um, it looks like many hunters and guides told me that tar recover really well from that, uh, from our European uh, experience uh, on chamois like a population could be really really affected by this disease like a disease can reduce even 30 percent of the population and it's really contagious so and we don't really know the situation here in, in new zealand on chamois because chamois is a more erratic animal that it's not really like tar you have a concentration you have spots where you can find a lot of them 
you know, ShamWhite doesn't have big, big uh, um, groups. Uh, it's a little bit spread here and there in New Zealand. Um, another thing I do understand why there is no ShamWhite Foundation. I don't know. But um, we can start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fucking around it's, enough to start another thing we can start it man i'm coming as soon as lockdown is down we will go shoot a shamwa put it on instagram and say we've just started the the the, the international yeah. shamwa foundation yeah uh yeah probably it's even uh it, they don't interact really well shamwa and Tar together you know hopefully there's even that kind of thing but uh we we will try to collect information even from Shamwa. So keep the two species in, in the project and see, you know, what we can come from that. And uh, I have to say, I've received a lot of pictures from hunters. They talk about other types of disease. Of course, everything has to be analyzed, even the pictures. We're going to have for like, I think for experts, they're going to look at the pictures and see if it's a real character conjunctivitis or something else or what kind of, of uh, uh, stage of uh, the pathologies it was that animal. Um, the keratoconjunctivitis, the pink eye, it's easy, but if, I don't know if this thing is going to evolve and you probably in the future, we're going to find ourselves to study other stuff, other pathologies are a little bit more tricky that, you know, to recognize and understand that was really that pathologies is not like easy. That's why pink eye represent a really good jump and a good training um, training opportunity for all the hunters um but most importantly it's not zoonotic so it cannot you can eat the meat still it's not gonna affect definitely 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 it's it will be it will be a shame to leave an animal with a pink eye just because the meat you cannot eat it's not 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 you can't eat it yeah yeah man i think that's it i'm excited about a bunch of projects that's coming up yeah, I hope that soon you are going to meet you at the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For uh, things that we'll reveal in, uh, yeah, in, in the near future. Well, with lockdown, we don't know what the future means anymore. Future is not just tomorrow. Exactly. Future, maybe in a month from now. I couldn't even happen here. Yeah. Let me, let me touch wood. Yeah, yeah, please. Touch wood. <laughs> uh, are you saying the same things in English? Touch wood? Touch wood, yeah, yeah. That's rude. Okay. We in Italian say we touch something else, but probably not so polite to say here. What do you say? I have to touch your balls. <laughs> How do you say it? Say it in Italian. Toccare le palle. <laughs> okay, man. Touch balls. Touch balls. Not going to happen. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. That, that, that was awesome. Uh, and uh, we'll speak soon again. Uh, thanks to you. Enjoy. Really. Ciao, Franco. See you soon. Ciao, Gerard. Gerardo. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> Bye. Bye.